Hey everyone, this is Tom Miller, editor of Solar Review Magazine, and today we have another storage feature for you. This is a panel recorded at Baywa's annual Business Leadership Summit, and the topic is How to Make Money Selling Storage. It features Barry Cinnamon from Cinnamon Solar, Andrew Meyer from Swell Energy, and Blair Reynolds from SMA. The topics include the economics of storage, energy security and backup power, how to set expectations with your customers about storage and how to meet those expectations and a whole lot more. So let's get over to our moderator, Baywa's VP of Marketing, Christine Owens. But just a quick reminder to subscribe and leave a rating for us if you like the podcast. And you can also find this podcast and a ton of other storage-related content on our magazine, including webinars, articles, and our brand new primer called Getting Started with Storage, which we recently published. Uh, This primer will get you up to speed on the basics of storage, how to talk to customers about their options, and Baywa's storage offerings. We'll put links in the show notes, uh, or you could Google Baywa Distribution to find us. That's B-A-Y-W-A, Baywa, and Distribution. So that's it. Thanks for listening, and let's get to the panel. Um, And I feel really fortunate to have such a qualified, competent group of panelists uh, joining us today. So um, so this is Andrew Meyer, who is a co-founder and COO of Swell Energy. And he might give a second or two more than that um, about what Swell is so that you're familiar. Um, Many of you already know Barry, Barry Cinnamon. Many of you know Barry already. He's obviously like a name in our industry and does his podcasts and you've read articles by him. And I feel like he's really been a pioneer down the the storage side of the industry. So great to have him here. And I think he's familiar with a lot of the same challenges that you might face as you get into that space. And then our third panelist, uh, Blair Reynolds. Um, Blair and I worked together years ago, and you'll see in Blair's bio uh, that he works for SMA. Um, But the reason I invited him, and he's agreed to kind of as much as possible, set his SMA hat uh, to the side for today to be here as a storage expert. He's been in the industry for about 12 years now and has launched storage products, um, lithium-based battery products and stuff across three different continents. So he's here for that broad uh, background and industry experience um, rather than his current position. So um, anyway, with that, um, I think I'll kick it off with just asking each of you on this question of how to make money selling storage. Um, We'll just kind of go down the row. You could give some of your top thoughts about either what to make sure you do or what to make sure you don't do. Um, Thank you. And it's great to be here. Um, Maybe I could start by just quickly introducing Swell. I think that we're not as known as um, SMA or Barry Cinnamon. Um, so it will also help to introduce kind of some of the themes that I would potentially be helpful in addressing here, you know, afterwards over a drink. Basically, Swell is a, uh, a clean energy platform that works primarily with utilities to develop programs that allow them to leverage residential storage to serve as an alternative to uh, traditional peaker plants. So what we do basically is we go to the utility, develop a program, usually it's like a contract, and we'll sign a contract with the utility to provide them with um, capacity from uh, basically deploying hundreds or even thousands of residential uh, storage systems, usually paired with solar. So it's kind of a Trojan horse for solar into a certain territory. And then we aggregate and dispatch those systems as a virtual power plant. Uh, It's kind of been called in our industry. And so what that does is it, it reduces peak load and it, it basically serves as an alternative to a traditional fossil fuel power plant. And um, increasingly we're seeing this as a trend in the, in the industry. We have um, a few contracts now, uh, happy to talk about. 
But I think this idea that storage, whether deployed at a home or a business, is going to be able to provide value to the homeowner uh, or the business owner or facilities manager, but also in the aggregate, if it's networked and if it's part of a program, there's incremental revenue that's available. And so that's kind of what we've focused on on the residential side. And the way we go to market is we kind of develop specialized financing um, backed by these programs and then work with contractors, really, uh, who, who sell and install systems into these programs using the financing. And the reason folks want to work with us is that in a market where we have a contract like this, it really is the best, uh, it, it's, it's the best customer offer available. It's the lowest, it's not just about our cost of capital or anything like that. It's really about um, the fact that we're bundling the, the payments from the utility with um, payments from the customer and you know, making our investors happy, but then really also making customers happy and contractors happy because it's uh, a more competitive offer and easier to sell. Um, so I guess before you know, diving into specific answers to your question, Christine, uh, maybe thematically I'd be very happy to talk about finance, um, these kind of grid programs, um, and also um, incentives that can help to back storage uh, in particular. All right, thanks. Uh, thanks, Christine, for this, uh, the introduction. And, uh, and before I kind of talk a little bit about trying to make money selling storage, I want to thank Boaz and the entire Baywa team. You guys are a real class act. Um, I've dealt with a lot of distributors over the last 20 years, and uh, you, you are just doing the right thing for the industry. You're stable. You can, I can tell from an organization when I see the same faces again and again every year that everybody likes to work there and the company's doing well. So that's just a, we're all in a great place. And so appreciate that. Um, thanks. Uh, so just in terms of making money selling storage, just you know, as, as Paul Benson would say in, in his presentation, your sales price has to be a lot greater than your costs. So you have to know what your costs are. You know what the, the, the selling price is, hopefully. Um, but new technology is always expensive and new technology is complicated. And batteries and the components that go along with that are at the extreme end. So we in the solar industry are really not, have not historically been that used to um, things that are this new and complicated and changing, um, really like in the last 20 years or so. We've been pretty fortunate for a stable set of inverters and modules and everything kind of works together. Not the case with batteries. So talking about the, the benefits of batteries, that's a tricky one. I, I do my installations now only in PG&E territory. So we've got two electric rates that customers can be on. They can be on the EV rate or they can be on the TOUA rate. So it's interesting you look at what the, the gap between the peak and the partial peak rate on the EV rate, 48 cents peak, that's kind of um, in the afternoon and the evening, and 26 cents partial peak, that's when the sun's shining. So you get a 20 cent a kilowatt hour advantage if you arbitrage your energy. Sounds pretty good, right? Well, let's look at how much you can save on the battery over its life. Let's say you have, I'm gonna just do really round numbers because the math is easy. 10 kilowatt hours every day, charge, discharge, so, you know, LG's battery is nominal 10 kilowatts. You're not going to get that full 10 kilowatts. Tesla Powerwall is a little bit bigger. With BYD, you can stack them. But let's just start with 10 kilowatt hours a day, 365 days a year, 10 years. That's uh, 36,050 kilowatt hours times 20 cents a kilowatt hour, which is what we're saving. That means that the battery can save $7,300 over, over 10 years. So you have to be able... And, and so... That's kind of dicey because even after the incentive and the tax credit, that's about how much the thing costs. And it's only got a guaranteed life of 10 years. So I, I don't know whether our customers are really smart 
um, or, or they're just like, they just want backup power, or maybe some of them have more money than brains, but they're buying it because of the backup power benefits. And it's really fascinating to see in the industry over the last three or four years, the companies have come out with solutions. It's been focusing on the money-saving side of it, and that's not why a lot of the early adopters, at least in my territory, are buying it. And even if I look at what some really generous gaps are between peak and partial peak, economics still don't pencil out yet, so hopefully it will. Um, so to me, the, the benefit is really backup power. Um, and then as far as kind of figuring out what to do, um, to me, it's, it's, it's ironic, but it's not about the battery. It's really about the inverter and the software, because that's the kind of the brains of the system. So there's a couple of really good battery companies out there, and there's a couple of, you know, several really good inverter companies out there. I'm really looking forward to SMA's product. So, you know, they, they have the reputation to do it right. So, so does SolarEdge, so does um, Enphase, and, you know, hopefully Fronius will have a good product too. But I look at it from the perspective of, I like installing this kind of inverter. What battery works with that? And I kind of take it from there. So... Look, I, I really come into this uh, equation more from the technology side. And in, in my background, I've been you know, very fortunate to have um, been able to work all over the world and to see this kind of technology. Actually, really, I like to describe it as I, I've seen the future. Um, you know, I've been to Germany and, and Australia, and I've seen how energy storage and solar just works in, with such a, a perfect synergy. Um, what's really unique about the U.S. market is first of all, you, you, we, you all have it good, believe it or not. Um, the fact that you've you, grown up in a, in, a, in, a, in a market that has a net metering policy. This is such a unique thing compared to most of the world where feed-in tariffs have created just kind of boom and bust markets. Uh, and as, as you, you probably know, feed-in tariffs have the value for, for the compensation that you, for the, what you, you export to the grid all across the board historically has been diminished over time. And that really is what drives the kind of the, the main use case for energy storage around the world is increasing self-consumption. And I can tell you, batteries are really, really great for that. They really do a, a, a fantastic job, perfect, you know, uh, 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 pairing with solar. Uh, the amount of savings that you can you can uh, expect it's it's easy to predict it, it really is uh, a, a great use case for energy storage um, but of course most of the US we still have a net metering policy and on a true net metering you you basically already have a battery right the grid it's a free battery um, with zero efficiency loss but I'm here to tell you that's that's going to change and you know we see more and more utilities introducing time of use tariffs. We see uh, you know examples like in uh, uh, Nevada, where uh, the compensation has been had been cut back for some time on uh, export. Uh, and and in California, we're going to see here in the next couple of years what's called net metering 3.0. Basically, it's a, it's a it's a, a variant of a net metering policy where your your compensation for what you export to the grid is less than retail. And Quite honestly, that it, it just makes sense to do that from a utilities perspective. Uh, it, it just does not make sense to, for them to keep paying you retail rates for, uh, for what you export. And quite honestly, um, when, we, when we get to a, a place where solar deployment is fit 10, 20, 15 percent in, 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 in certain markets, uh, it's just not sustainable 
compensating for your export at, at, a, at a retail price. So it, it, it absolutely is coming. Where things get tricky with energy storage, and, and really, again, this is pretty unique to the U.S. market, because the, the financials, like Barry was describing, are, are a little bit tough, is, is when you introduce the backup power use case. This is the, it can, can be a huge pitfall for your business. Um, so I would encourage everyone to think long and hard about whether or not that's something that you want to be offering. Um, backup, you know, it, it's, it's one of the main drivers today, of course, energy security. Uh, because, quite honestly, the financials are a, a little bit hard to justify in many areas just based on the pure savings. As Barry did a great job of putting, it, putting an example. Um, apart from uh, a couple markets, you know, Southern California, Hawaii, um, and, a, and sprinkled across the U.S. where you have, you know, municipal utilities that never have really introduced a formal net metering policy, um, it's, it's, it's hard to justify uh, installing solar uh, today or sorry, it's installing storage today purely on the economics. And uh, so therefore, backup power is really interesting. It's really attractive. Um, you know, it's, it's more elegant in, in a lot of ways than having a generator powering your home. Um, the, the, taking advantage of the, the tax credits and, and various local rebates, SGIP being one of them, it's, 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 it's interesting. Um, but there's an old saying that comes from the people, you know, who were doing energy storage, you know, 30 years ago, right? Uh, um, when you sell somebody a backup power system, that, that customer, you, you have a relationship with that customer for life. So you really need to understand if that's the kind of business that you want to be in. Because you can absolutely expect a phone call on Thanksgiving Day when the power goes out and they're getting ready to, you know, cook the turkey. And all of a sudden, the inverter trips, and it's your problem. It's your fault. So you, you, you need to be prepared for that, if that's, if that's something that you're going to incorporate into your business. Um, so look, I will say that uh, it's, you know, the, the energy, energy storage is not new. It feels new, but it, it really is not. I mean, there was people who were installing solar long before I was in the, in the business most of them were putting energy storage in on almost all the systems because that's what the market was before we really had net metering policy. It was off-grid and, and, uh, and, and almost all the systems had energy storage. Then there was this kind of a gap, right? Uh, 10, 20 years where it just didn't make much sense. It was lead acid. You could up, you know, upgrade your system for maybe 10,000 bucks, get, a, get a, a basic backup power system with some lead acid batteries. Um, but of course, there was maintenance issues. There was... Um, uh, just the, the life cycle of the batteries as well was, was kind of a constant, constant issue. So it, it really wasn't, uh, you know, I, I think there's uh, people who've came into the industry within the last decade probably haven't had a whole lot of exposure to it. Um, the lithium is amazing. The specs on the stuff that, I, that that's coming out today are absolutely incredible. And the costs continues to, to really, really improve. And so I, I'm quite convinced, in part because I, I have seen the future, uh, but I'm, I'm quite convinced every home uh, with solar will, will have batteries attached to it, uh, and, and probably sooner, sooner than you would think, probably five years from now, every single, every single new installation will have a battery attached to it. Just, it, it just makes sense. Um, the, the storage is capable, will be capable, of delivering uh, additional savings above and beyond what the, 
uh, solar alone is, is capable of doing. But I, I just caution you, uh, and we'll, we'll talk more about it, I'm sure, really understand what you're getting into if you start selling the, the backup power capabilities. So that's a great transition, because one of the first things that we were going to talk about is, yeah, how to match up the use cases, knowing what you're getting into. And I think, Barry, you probably want to comment on some of the stuff Blair just shared. Yeah, um, I, 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 I agree with everything Blair said times 10. So um, you, you're guaranteed to get calls from your customers on a, on a rainy night when it, and they're, in, they're freaking out. I mean, I, I just think of the last two or three I got. Um, one was uh, there was a PG&E power failure. Our backup system um, was working fine, but the customer called PG&E to see if there was a power failure in the area, and PG&E said no. So we went out, the home builder went out, we're there in the rain with our hats and our slickers, and uh, it turned out we measured, yeah, the PG&E power was really out, but it was still like my fault. Um, and, and that's happened several times. The, it's, it's, I had a lot of bad experiences or, or exactly the same experiences that Blair was exp um, explaining with lead-acid batteries. The experiences I've been having so far with the, um, the lithium-ion uh, current inverter s systems, we're using LG Chem with SolarEdge, they've worked really well. And I, I, I'm hoping that I don't get that many more phone calls, but it, just like with solar, if, if there's, once you put solar on somebody's roof and if they ever have a leak, guess who gets the call, even if it's not your fault. Um, so it's something that we're gonna have to live with and just be really, really careful about the equipment selection and the quality and the training of the installation. There's some other things to do, but you know, Blair, it's, it's, I think we should write that in big letters. Just watch out if you're selling backup power. You're going to be responsible for that, and you have to set the right customer expectations. I remember going to another conference, and talk, somebody else was talking about it, and they said they have every single battery backup system customer's name and phone number on their cell phone. So they know, who, they know when they call. Uh, yeah, Andrew, was there anything you wanted to add in on this topic of matching up technology or in your experiences? Well, um, I think the messaging side is very important. So what you're promising the customer is very important. It's obviously not over-promising over and under-delivering. Um, and so when we talk about backup power, obviously this is not unlimited backup power for your whole house forever. Uh, you know, just being very clear about that, I think it's expectations. False expectations is suffering for your customer and for you. Um, but another, I think another thought that comes up, and again, totally agree with everything, uh, well, actually both you guys said, um, is that while you have to be careful, I do think backup power is a critical value prop. For example, Swell, uh, we've looked at it, we've, but we, we are only offering equipment and systems that are capable of providing backup power because we think that, um, we, well, we know from our experience in the California market that, and, and California's uh, probably not the most important backup market if you're from the East Coast or Florida or something. You know, there's obviously more important markets where even a few hours of extra power can give you uh, quite a bit of value as a consumer. But um, it, what we've seen is that uh, consumers don't like. There's very few things that consumers buy that I mean that any we're all consumers. So that any of us buy um, based on savings. Like most of us buy stuff based on the value. I mean, nothing you're wearing or have in front of you you bought because it saves you money. You buy it because it provides some value and you, maybe you chose it because it's, it's your vibe and it was cost effective. Um, well, that's like the same way they think about solar and storage. And so when we're talking to consumers the way we advise c contractors and the way we've done it, and we've done it, it was 
pretty well, is you know, really focusing on the value prop first and foremost. And we're still selling solar, but we lead with energy security and sort of self-supply. Um, energy security is the way that we talk about backup power, uh, just because it's kind of a more familiar concept. It's more resonant with you know, your home security system or insurance or something like that. Um, it's just a sort of redundant safety net in your life. And, um, and people are willing to pay for something like that because it has concrete value. Now, they won't pay an infinite amount for it, right? So what you have to do is figure out how to make it the least cost possible, which is about the cost of the equipment, the cost of install, uh, how much margin you're able to take. But then how can you reduce the effective cost through you know, TOU arbitrage or what we do, which is working with the utility, you get the utility to pay for a big part of it because it's also providing the utility with a, a, value, a value from the aggregate level. And so then they're paying you know, a quarter a day or something like that for backup power. Uh, and that's a pretty, I think that's pretty attractive to most customers. Like there's a clearing price where customers will pay for energy security, which is only possible with a battery combined with solar that's inter, you know, installed in a certain way. And so we really focus, I mean, that's not just an afterthought. That is the core value prop I would recommend leading with, but do it carefully, not to overpromise. Um, and uh, figure out how to make it cost effective. Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. I see just honestly so many opportunities for temptation to uh, creep in and allow you, one to overrepresent what the system is actually capable of doing in terms of backup power, starting with you know, the, the, sales, the salesperson. And um, some, some of the most successful uh, companies that I'm, I've worked with that, have, uh, that, are, that provide this kind of uh, uh, installations, um, they actually you know, make the homeowner sign papers that basically, you know, here, here is what you can power during a backup, you know, when the, during a grid outage, and here's the approximate duration, and you're agreeing that, that you're acknowledging that this has, you've been informed about this because it's really easy for uh, there to be a gap in what the customers, your, your, your homeowners are actually expecting in terms of performance and what the system's actually capable of delivering. And quite honestly, uh, for pure backup power use cases, I, a question for, for you all, maybe. Um, I'm sorry, Lynn, but is, uh, is lithium the right chemistry for pure backup power use case? Because quite honestly, li lithium likes to be worked. When you, when you set a, a lithium battery at 100% state of charge and you, just, and you leave it there, it actually has a, a, affects the overall uh, capacity retention of that battery, keeping it at, at that highest charge voltage. Uh, for long durations. So lithium really does like to be cycled. Um, and of course, that, that contradicts the... So Mur Murphy's Law will tell you, and, and again, this is, this is really, this is the key. If you take anything away from, from today, please understand this. If you, if you decide to bring backup power into your, into your business, uh, it, there's a spectrum that you have to de decide where you want to live on this spectrum for how, how you're going to program your batteries to operate. And Barry, I, I believe, I, I was really, really impressed with hearing how, how he... Uh, installs his systems um, because it really, it, quite honestly, is, is a responsible way approach to take. Um, it's very tempting to want to cycle your battery every day, right? Try to get as much savings as possible out of that, out of that battery. But Murphy's Law will tell you, it, it's, it, when, when that grid outage occurs, if, if your battery's empty, you have no backup power, right? So therefore, now you have to, to, to decide, okay, well, maybe I want to create a little bit of a reserve tank, right? So you can do that, but now you, you basically, 
you know, you, let's say you only discharge your battery to half of its capacity on a daily basis to create some savings. Well, you've effectively doubled the, the payback period on that battery as well, right? Um, and you have half of your, you know, half the capacity. What, what is the right battery capacity for, for a typical home? I'm here to tell you, it's, it's not a one-size-fits-all. I mean, it's, it, it truly isn't. Um, so especially when you're looking at, you know, trying to figure out, okay, what's the right platform, DC coupled, AC coupled, really understanding not just, you know, what's the, what's the, the proper capacity, but also what, what loads do I actually need to power, where, you know, uh, understanding what the inrush current looks like for these typical loads. Um, because it's not something you can just walk up to, you know, the appliance and see it on the label, how much inrush current it pulls. Uh, you need to have overhead on your inverter so that you can deal with surging power in a backup environment. And you need to have, you need to make sure that you have enough capacity to meet those customers' expectations. When, when does a grid, when is there a grid outage? When is there a failure? It's, I mean, it's quite, quite honestly, it's oftentimes it's as a result of wildfire, snowstorm, hurricane, all those natural disasters, not really known for having great solar irradiance. So do not set the expectation with your customers that, the, that it's, oh, don't worry, the solar's just gonna recharge your battery. You'll have perpe perpetual energy. That's simply, it's, it's, it's just it's so untrue. Uh, so again, that's, if you take anything away from that, understand it, it, it's really important to decide how much promise you're gonna, you're gonna make to your customers about when, the, when that grid, grid failure does occur, what they can actually power and for how long. And you need to make sure that your systems are being set correctly. And it's very tempting to do otherwise, but you need to make sure that you have some reserve capacity left over. And Barry, if you don't mind telling folks your, your approach, because I really think this is, is best, best practice. All right, so, so um, first, as far as setting expectations, I, I wanna see a show of hands. Um, raise your hand if you've installed solar panels on customers' roofs, all right? Now, keep your hands up if those customers have ever said to you, um, of course, I'm going to get power when there's a blackout, right? That, that happens like in most cases. Yeah. <laughs> so just by the fact that you have installed a solar system, many people expect, most people expect there's, there's going to be the need for some backup power. And SMA did a, a great job coming out with their um, sustained, was it the, the emergency power backup, 1,200 watts or so as long as the sun's shining. That's great, but it only works during the day. So my most recent example, three weeks ago, it wasn't Thanksgiving, but it was a rainy, stormy night. This was a different customer. Um, they had their, their friends coming over. They were making a crown rib cut of lamb, this whole thing. They're having a dinner party. Power goes out. The backup powers goes on. Everything was fine. Um, and, you know, but, but they were, but it was, it had rained. It was cloudy the day before. It was cloudy the next day. So they only had 30% power left in the battery. And, and, and what Blair was mentioning, the way, the way we set our systems um, that we've been installing, the default from the inverter manufacturer is that the battery um, never discharges more than 20%. I was trying to be smart and figured I'm gonna bump that up to 30. So the customer had 30% when they had their neighbors come over for the crown rack of lamb. Um, so the lights were on for two or three hours. They were able to reheat something in the microwave, but their electric oven, forget about it. But at least they could sit around the fire because their fire started. But, but the power went out after like three or four hours because that 30% was gone. So now what we're doing in the winter, winter in California is kind of like from November to March or so, we're setting all of our batteries at a 60% minimum discharge level. 
Now, also in the winter, you don't get a lot of sun. So it's not like you're going to get a lot of benefit from arbitrage. Um, and then it's also, you know, if it rains one day, the higher percentage that it, it's going to rain the next or it's going to be clouded the next. So we're trying to figure out a way to set all of our customers at a higher minimum reserve capacity of the battery in the, quote, winter when it's more likely to have these blackouts rather than the, the rest of the year and then have to go back and reset everything. And, and I think that our inverter supplier, SolarEdge, can automate that to a certain degree, but it's not anything we can easily do yet. But those are the things. It's like just there's A, setting the right customer expectations, B, understanding how they're going to operate the systems. And the, the third thing on my, it's on my fault, is understanding how these loads work because, you know, this customer bought a system to power their well pump because their horses would die if there was a blackout and they couldn't pump water. And we checked all the specs, everything would have been fine. It turns out that um, sometimes the well pump wouldn't start. And finally we went, it, it's, it's been over a year and I still haven't figured it out yet, but we're looking for, a, looking for some way of setting it so that the battery system can momentarily provide the 37 amps of inrush current that this 11 amp pump requires. And so still haven't figured that out. But the, those little things, those little gremlins, yeah. it's, that's, that's the gotcha. And, and it's so easy just selling solar to, you know, of course you do, you do a great job with the workmanship and everything. It's, it, it's it, to get return customers or, to, or at least to get uh, referrals out of your customers, you happy customers. There's, there's these little things, these little gotchas really, really can, can, uh, um, can damage your reputation. Yeah. If, if, yeah. And, and these and this, these customers are happy because we're bending over backwards making sure they're happy. I, w I won't even get into the $6,000 rewiring work we had to do to run the backup power through their Sistine Chapel living room to get to the subpanel in the middle of the house. But So coming back to the, the first question, how yeah. do you make money? It's making sure that you know your costs. And at the beginning, you're going to make mistakes and it's going to be expensive. Yeah. One quick thought. There are definitely gotchas. But there's also definitely hallelujahs in a way that solar doesn't have. Like we had the opposite. Uh, we had an off-grid Thanksgiving customer because they had a power outage on their on their street, and battery kicked in, and they had their whole family over, and it was all powered by a battery. And they have already sent many referrals, and they're elated. So, totally get it. You know, the downside is is uh, deeper, but the upside is higher. I think when people feel the power of the uh, the value that that you've provided. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, it is this you know upside downside to the fact that when you go down this path, you have a different longer term relationship with these customers than you do when you're just doing their PB install. So you have to really be thinking that through. Um, another thing we wanted to get into a little bit, and um, Andrew, I'll, I'll probably have you kick this off, is and you touched on this a little bit from a financing incentive tax credits. Um, you know, can you guys all just spend a little time making sure people know some of the high points on that? And obviously, it varies a little bit from geography. Um, but yeah, that is another piece, not just, you know, in terms of how you make money, but again, trying to help your potential customers understand how this can work for them and what their economics look like is a really key part of that sales conversation. Yeah, I'll, I'll start. Um, uh, okay, so, so just from a general financing standpoint, you've, you guys have probably already seen this, but um, you know, a lot of the, the solar specific finance companies, whether it's on the third party owned side, like a Sunrunner or a Sonova, or on the loan side, like a Mosaic or a Sunlight, 
et cetera, um, they're starting to get more comfortable. I think the initial hesitation is that solar has an avoided cost associated with it. So the economic value is more certain and therefore the customer risk of default is lower and so their investors are comfortable. I think the investors are starting to get comfortable with storage. That's our understanding. Certainly our investors are doing the same, um, both because of the economic value of storage from TOU in California where that's becoming standard. Um, and elsewhere, but also because it's it's clear that people do value having this in their home, whether it's a clear economic benefit or not. And so they're, the, the finance companies are becoming more comfortable, but there's still a gap. So um, Barry, you probably know a little better than I do, and, and others maybe also know better than we do. But basically, it's, it's not that every solar provider is now financing storage as an add-on, and certainly not as a standalone asset. But I actually think that's a pretty big trend. Um, that a lot of them will start, uh, you know, maybe later this year, probably next year. Um, on the on the incentive side, um, <clears throat> ITC is available for storage so long as it's charged 100% from solar. Um, <clears throat> the manufacturers are kind of the ones taking responsibility there and ensuring that if you have a storage paired, um, if you have a solar system with a storage uh, with a, with a storage system attached that it will only charge from the solar. That's because the inverter is kind of making a decision there. Um, so the customer can benefit from the ITC or the third party owner can benefit from the ITC. Um, in fact, there was an IRS ruling that even a storage retrofit to a solar system also qualifies for the ITC. Uh, that's definitely clear now if the customer owns both systems. Um, be a little bit careful if you're adding a battery to your customer who maybe you finance through a third party owner like a Sunrun or something because that's not totally clear that the ITC would apply to the battery because it's different owners and et cetera. But if you've got a lot of customers with loans or paid cash and solar and you go back to them and offer a battery, um, by the way, I definitely recommend doing that. Uh, very low cost of a customer acquisition. They're already your customer and a lot of them want it. A lot of them already think they have it to Barry's point. Um, <laughs> So maybe you know, remind them that they don't and then say, hey, but it's, you know, uh, exactly. Um, and then in terms of other incentives, um, uh, who's from California? Okay, that's enough people to talk about the S-chip. You guys probably know about the S-chip. You're probably already using it. Um, that's the self-generation incentive program. Uh, it's a rebate for behind the meter batteries on both the residential and commercial side. Um, it is a huge pain in the ass, as we all know. <laughs> Um, but it's got real money and it does pay. We were just talking, you know, the checks are now coming in. Um, and they're, it's kind of clumpy, but they're definitely coming in now. So um, uh, it's a good program. The, the, other, the really exciting thing there is uh, that last year, the California legislature passed a SB 700, which actually expands behind the meter rebate, uh, rebates for the behind the meter batteries. It's another $800 million. Um, they're calling it like, you know, S-chip extender, but actually it's not just S-chip. It's going to be a totally new program. And so things to look out for there are that the PUC hasn't opened the proceeding yet to structure that program. So look out for that. Uh, if you're part of CALSA or can get the emails, you'll know about it. The key issues are, you know, is the process going to be easier? Is it going to be more like the CSI, which was a lot easier than the S-chip? Um, how much is going to go to residential versus commercial? What's the incentive level? All of those things are up for grabs, but think about it this way. It's basically another few years of, um, you know, multi-thousand dollar cash rebates post-install for behind-the-meter batteries, for residential behind-the-meter batteries in California, hopefully easier to get. Um, 
and then there's other states I'm less familiar, but you know, Massachusetts has the new smart program. There's a adder for storage that's pretty lucrative. Um, and, uh, and some other ideas, but, um, and then, and then just a real quick plug for swell is just that, you know, wherever we have a contract, it's basically an incentive for the homeowner to adopt storage. So in Southern California and orange County, we have a program that is becoming available in the second half of this year. And we'll be doing, basically it's open to contractors and customers for about a year thereafter, but it, you can use S chip, you can use the ITC. And then on top of that, there's a basically call it another S-chip on top of that, that you can offer to customers because we'll be managing all the batteries to provide SCE with a virtual power plant, and so they're paying us for it. So, so uh, we talked a little bit about the S-chip program. Last April, I, I, we, we, we had done a bunch of applications, and systems were installed. I looked at the numbers, and the state publishes everything, and, and uh, after, I don't know, a little over a year of the program, nobody had gotten a rebate check yet. After a year. Um, they st and this was in pg and &E territory. It took us about uh, 15, 16 months before we got our first one. pg and &E is really, really slow. They've gotten better. Um, so, but it's a, it's a bureaucratic nightmare. The book is this thick. The paperwork is like had... The, the, their requirements made no sense, and their engineers admitted it. That was just a, a, a remnant from an old program. But um, the, part of the other challenges, and this is why I, I encourage you to work with your inverter and your battery manufacturers who are very savvy about these programs and you know SGIP but other states are going to have similar programs um, perhaps even following California rules is that there's a lot of, of documentation requirements reporting requirements specification requirements that are arcane and you have to make sure that when you install a system that the inverter and the battery company and perhaps even the controller company has been through the process before with other partners and knows how to actually answer the questions that you're going to need to answer in order just to even submit your application, nonetheless get paid. So it's, there's a whole level of complexity there that we don't, we, we haven't had in solar in 15 years. So make sure you're working with a vendor that understands those requirements. And, um, you know, the vendors that I've been working with, they've, they've been through it. Um, and and I, I don't like to be the first one kind of blazing this path because it could be very frustrating. Now, the other thing about the rebates is when, when you have a big incentive that's going to take 12 months to collect, that can really clobber your receivables. Um, and so you have to, what, what I do and what I did under the, the original CEC program and the CSI program is I had the rebate paid to the customer. So I didn't have to float that money. And you know, it, it could end up being a, a pretty big number. Andrew, you probably got a pretty big number sitting there. Well, that's what we do too. Oh, good. Oh, that's yeah. smart. And so, Very good. Uh, unfortunately, some of the sales folks weren't that clear about that. And, <laughs> you know, some customers get a little bit um, frustrated and then we'll say, okay, we'll take the rebate. You're good. But for the most part, yeah, the customer is, is floating the, or they're, they're just, you know, they're carrying the rebate. Good cash flow management. Cash flow, yeah. It's, yeah, any last comments, Blair, anyone? Because I want to make sure we open up for uh, just, Q&A. Just a little, I'd like to elaborate a little bit more on the ITC. Um, so, you know, my, my philosophy on this is out of the box, the energy storage system should charge from solar and only solar as a default, that's kind of a default setting. Uh, if, if you choose to override that and charge it from the grid, it, you, you sh well within your rights to do that, just know that there, there are ITC implications and be very careful about how you represent the ITC uh, because it is very tempting. Uh, Barry, what's your super off-peak price? Something like six, eight cents? Uh, the EV rate is 13 cents. Yeah. 
So it's really, really tempting to charge the battery overnight during that period of time so that you, you first of all, you're guaranteed that you've got a full battery during, for your peak period. Um, and just another thing that I think is really interesting uh, development, and just, just last month, the CPUC uh, did issue uh, a notification that they're, they're, they've approved the framework which will allow batteries which are insured only to be charged from solar to actually discharge to the grid uh, through a net metering program. So this is really going to be a game changer, again, creating more opportunities to generate additional savings. It's yet to be determined what those tariffs actually look like, how lucrative it's going to be. But again, a huge, uh, huge deal in California that, that uh, for the first time we actually have framework to allow batteries to discharge beyond through the meter to the grid. Excellent. Yeah, let's um, open it up. I have a few other remarks to make, but I want to save those till, uh, till we have some Q&A. So I think David Murphy's back there. Aaron's back there. They have some mics. So if you could ask your question on mic, that'd be great. It looks like Boas has a question up here. So uh, I'm curious, Andrew, if you could talk more about um, the, the value proposition that that um, you represented is really different than um, TOU arbitrage and and backup power, right? You're you're selling a, a value proposition to the utility, not to the homeowner. Um, do you have any thoughts about how independent contractors would participate in that? Is your program one that our customers can sign up for and do installations within your network or anything else about that? Totally. Um so a couple, a couple things there. Yeah, our primary, our go-to-market is we start with the utility to make sure that we can secure a value from them. It's usually, it's usually a contract over a term of years, just like a PPA with a customer. Um, but in this case, it's with the utility, and they're kind of paying for an aggregate value of capacity that we can dispatch, you know, on a moment, on 15 minutes notice, and and reduce peak. Right now. Um, that's not incompatible with providing all the exact same value propositions that you all and everyone's been talking about for homeowners like TOU. So for example, when they're gonna call on us, it's during the peak. So we're gonna be sort of double dipping in some sense when we do the TOU and the demand response at the same time. Um, but really a deeper point is that um, it's not inconsistent. So this is just going to the first part of your question about the value prop. I was, I'm, I'm really just saying that whatever we're doing in the back end, consumers don't have to know about really. I mean, they don't even have to know about TOU, I don't think. Like, they just want to know is, what's the net benefit for me? I don't really need to know how it, how it works. Like, you know, it's cute that the Prius has the little diagram about whether it's coming from the battery or not, but you just really care about miles per gallon. That's all you really care about. Like, not everyone looks at that. So, um, you know, fundamentally, like TOU, grid services, uh, discharging to the grid under the new net metering regime, like there's going to be people who want to look at the the graphs in real time and like tell their friends and you know participate in these you know Ohm Connect uh, demand response hours and stuff like that. But um, I think that's the that's like the early adopters. I think fundamentally, I was just getting at the point like, what is the core value prop to the consumer? Don't distract them with how you do it. Um, that's that's one point. And the the grid services the utility program just makes it a little bit easier. That's, this is all just from our experience so far. Um, now, the second point you had is great. I mean, yeah, absolutely. We, we are, you can think of us kind of as um, kind of like a Sunrun before they bought REC. So they're basically an intermediary between capital markets, then structuring kind of a, a financial product that then contractors can run with. 
and um, you know, sell to customers, get customers enrolled, and then make money by installing projects and serving those customers. What we're doing is going to utility, we're doing the exact same thing, but then also going to utilities to kind of bake in this value proposition that we can provide to them. And so really, it's the same concept. We're not a contractor. We're working with contractors. We need contractors who are interested in originating projects, installing projects, and um, honestly making more money because we're baking in this payment from the utility. Um, it's a backdoor for solar. You kind of become the preferred vendor of that utility in that area, um, and you have a better offer than anyone else in the market. So we absolutely want it. We need it. So I had a comment and a question. I guess my comment was um, as soon as storage comes up, the immediate thought is that um, storage means backup, which it necessarily doesn't. So we've started kind of trying to change the vernacular to grid-tied storage versus backup. And uh, my, my question is, on the, on the grid-tied storage side, have, has anybody seen a good platform um, on the residential side to help model what that looks like from a, from a payback perspective? Sure. Um, my, my favorite tool for doing this, uh, the most powerful tool uh, out there, is, is SAM, System Advisor Model from NREL. Free, free download. That's another reason I like it. Uh, but it's, I would not categorize it as being super user-friendly. Um, other, other tools that I think uh, have similar, similar capabilities but are you know, on a subscription basis, uh, energy tool base comes to mind. Um, I think they do a really good job uh, now of, of really modeling the residential use case. Previously, they were kind of more focused on the commercial uh, demand charge reduction use cases. But I think they do quite a good job now of, of uh, modeling residential. Um, and then I believe, I mean, all and Folsom, all these guys, I, I believe they're all incorporating it at some various stage in their product development. Because, like I said, I, I believe it's going to be every, every, everywhere very soon. Yeah, that, that said, I mean, I thought that Barry's numbers were, were very interesting math, for sure. I have a feeling Barry has an Excel file. Uh, yeah, I have an Excel file I wrote in 2001, but the, the numbers that I gave you, you can just do it on a piece of paper. I mean, just, and, and you know, it, it, it's pretty straightforward. And you gotta, you gotta have like a gap of 30 cents a kilowatt hour or so in order to really get that payback into the right range. What, what I really love um, doing with, with SAM, uh, it, it allows you to, to run all these different hypothetical scenarios where you iterate not only the, the, the capacity of the storage, but also the, uh, the size of the PV array. And it's fascinating, depending on your, your, your utility tariff, how introducing energy storage can affect the optimal uh, size of your PV system for if you're, if you're solving for return on investment. It it's really is an interesting uh, synergy there. So uh, I, love, I love SAM. It's free. It's, but you, you, need, you need a little bit uh, of patience to, to, to learn it. So, so one of the challenges with these models is you have to have the right data going in. And the utilities, there's, what, 3,000 utilities around, but there's 100 that really matter. And they all have a half a dozen rates, and they change every year. So you really need to be working with a provider that can, if you're working in multiple utility districts, you have to have a provider that can actually keep those utility rates up to date. I think if, I totally agree. If you want to go all the way, it's energy tool base is, uh, from our perspective, the best vendor at the moment with... They have an integration with something called Utility API, which maintains the connection, can pull green button data from, you know, the, not the 100 utilities that matter, but 30 that matter. Um, and they also do a good job modeling solar, and they do the kind of like, you know, solving back for 
what's the optimal system size and uh, maximizing IRR, et cetera. So I would say if you want to just go for it, they have a free uh, trial and then it's like a hundred bucks a month. Um, so I'd say it's worth it to do a deep dive, just take a trial. And, and you know, I, I spent a lot of time a couple of years ago trying to figure out what the optimal system size just in pg and &E territory. And then I realized this is a waste of time because there's only one battery solution. They only have one battery. So, you know, it's like the optimal size is one. Great. I, yeah. I, I think Lynn had a question up here too, if you want to come up here and then we'll go over to Chad, I think next. Um, for a solar installer that's looking to add storage uh, to their business, uh, how important is it to have a multitude of hardware options to fit uh, the multitude of customers that you, they would approach? So I think first, first of all, asking yourself, am I going to be offering retrofit storage or is this you know, only for, for new installations? Because ultimately, trying to decide you know, the, the AC coupled versus DC coupled is an important question for you to um, you know, figure out what's going to be the best fit for your for your customers, for your business. They, they both have advantages, they both have disadvantages. Um, uh, of course, understanding backup power. I, I'll, I'll say this, I was, uh, I was a grid defector for a day and a half. Um, quite, quite honestly, my, my expectations were, were not met by the, the power, the capabilities of the system that I had installed in my home. Um, this, was, this was a system that didn't have any balancing across uh, phases, line one and line two. So in, in, that, in this scenario, it was not SMA, but <laughs> in, this, in, this, in this scenario, my, my inverter was tripping constantly and every time it would trip, uh, I'd have to go and reset the clocks and everything in the house and go log back into Netflix or whatever. It, it, didn't, it just didn't work with my lifestyle. Um, but making sure that you're, you know, um, if you're introducing backup power, making sure that uh, you have not only the, the correct amperage uh, capabilities that you can deliver. Um, most importantly, the, the surge, surge rating of the inverter. Uh, I think most DC coupled systems, they don't have a, a lot of overhead in the inverter because it's basically sharing that capacity between the solar and the, the energy storage, but they don't have a lot of extra overhead to, to surge beyond their nameplate rating. AC coupled systems uh, are, are generally better in that category. Um, and then, yeah, making sure that you, you do have some kind of a, a auto transformer installed because that's, that's super important for the, uh, the, the stability of that microgrid. So it seems like, you know, getting to Lynn's question, you know, do you need to have multiple solutions to offer up to customers or can you do this with one? What I think you're saying is if you, if you have one, you have to make sure you really know which customers this is a good fit for and not try to sell it to people where it's not a good fit. Or if you're trying to go differently, you might have to have more than one solution set ready to go yes. to fit those different use cases. And yeah. Barry or Andrew, I don't know if you want to comment on that. It's it's a it's challenging supporting multiple complicated sets of equipment. And it is complicated. It really it really I mean. And and there's and it's one of the things that that I, I realized I didn't do a good job of is is training my salespeople and then training my installers on exactly how this goes. But once once you've got them well trained on one system, and that's you know not only how you put the battery up, but how you configure it, how you upgrade the firmware when you need to, how you run the three sets of Cat5 wire that these things require. That, that's a lot of comp complexity. And then if you have another solution, then you have to retrain them on all the nuances of that solution. So it's, it's tricky for a contractor to support, I would say, more than two. Yeah. I, I can support two. I, but I, I, I firmly believe that there is no one-size-fits-all solution. And, and you know, the, the fact that the, the Tesla it came to market with a product and with, with, you know, with more or less following that approach, um, you know, I, I, I firmly believe that that's not, absolutely not the case. 
Um, so having a scalable technology, uh, I think, makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah, I think it comes back to that point we were talking about. It's like really trying to understand what problem you're trying to solve and making sure that your whole company is behind this is what we do and, and not spreading yourself so thin that you're just going to get yourself into trouble that way. Um, other questions? I think Chad had one over here. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm generally loud, but <laughs> um, my question would be for Andrew. When you're um, approaching these utilities, I'm curious if they are, uh, if you're rolling out these uh, incentive programs across the entire grid that they serve, or if they are focusing on underserved or overtaxed spokes of their grid. Awesome. Uh, good question. So uh, <clears throat> we are, it depends, is sort of the the easy way to respond to that. It depends what their need is. Sometimes it's like a regulatory need. So it's like we have an obligation to procure this much storage. Doesn't matter where it is. But that's sort of short lived, right? So really what is it really doing is it's more localized. And our contract with our first contract with SCE is a good example. It's it's not SCE wide. It's very specific to an area with about two hundred thousand residential accounts in uh, Orange County, it's kind of in and around Irvine, California, and um, they specifically want it there because they have a local capacity need because it's very dense uh, urban environment, uh, a lot of nimbyism. It's very hard to build new transmission or generation in the area. In fact, there's generation being taken offline there, and so they need it there. And so that's sort of they issued the RFP for that, and we responded, and now we're that's where we're developing projects. So any customers or contractors in the area could benefit from this from this program. And I think one other way to do it is like if you're a contractor, it doesn't matter where you are, you know, if you have, you know, we could go together to the local utility and pitch something like that, not knowing exactly where they need it. They have needs and we could sort of figure out where the needs are and how to solve them. So, um, and then one final point, just as a, as a lesson, you know, I've been talking about this as capacity. There's actually another use for storage called distribution deferral, which is where, like, literally very specific circuits that maybe have um, a transformer that is reaching capacity because there's new homes in the area or new businesses, and they're, you know, they've budgeted like a million dollar infrastructure upgrade to sort of make the pipe bigger, so to speak. Um, if you can just, they're only doing that for the peak, right? So if you can reduce the peak on that circuit, then they can host more capacity on that circuit. And so that's another use case, which sort of in the spirit of your question is very localized, like literally like this specific block or, you know, this, this very small area of, of a city. Um, and that's another thing that we've been working on. So storage is very locational. There's a locational flavor to it. Uh, we maybe have time for one final question, and uh, all this, the panelists will be here the rest of the afternoon and through this evening, so feel free to, to corner them some more. Um. Is this working? Okay. I appreciated the uh, comments because I was waiting for some like that uh, where you talked about the uh, surge capacity and that sort of thing because that's kind of a, and the load balancing because those issues are kind of uh, similar to like nuisance tripping if you derate a main or something like that. So some of the things that, uh, you know, I know that uh, our considerations are, for example, we're used to using peak sun hours when we're figuring out the solar system size, like in LA, it's like 5.5 .5 peak sun hours. But when you're in a battery, it's totally different. Now you, you're going to take like the least number of sunlight, peak sunlight hours 
for the year. So you might be using 2.4 instead of 5.5. And then there are other issues like what about temperature and where are you going to put these things and how far away are they going to be from the main service panel because of the cost of that big heavy copper. And uh, so some of those considerations, if you could just maybe speak to some of them. So we're aware of, you know, different batteries have different depths of discharge and uh, all sorts of things like that. Look, yeah, it, it, I think in my, in my experience, uh, you, you cannot uh, rely on a battery's data sheet to tell you how much capacity you're going to get out of that battery. It's, it's highly dependent on the rate at which you're discharging it. Uh, it's also highly dependent on, um, of course, the inverter that's connected to, and, and also just the construction of, of the battery itself. For example, does the battery have like a, a DC to DC converter in it? Because that has some, some losses associated with it as well. So what, what you won't find on the data sheet, and you really, I think, have to kind of um, I don't know, work with your manufacturers to try to get good data. In fact, actually, if, if you can get your hands on an S-chip uh, discharge test report, that's probably the best source of this information, is how many AC kilowatt hours can I extract from that battery? Because that's what your customers care about. That's what actually is, 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 is important in a backup scenario, of course. AC kilowatt hours. You can't just look at the data sheet and says, oh, oh yeah, it's a 10 kilowatt hour battery. I get 10 kilowatt hours, and that's what I should model. Don't make that mistake. Yeah, but AC, AC kilowatt hour uh, output from a, a full discharge cycle. And that, that's basically what you have to um, submit to, to the SGIP administrators for your, uh, to receive your check. So if you can get your hands on one of those reports for your specific combination of battery inverter, use that number. All right. Yeah. Just um, again uh, to, to wrap up and, and feel free to, to corner any of the panelists after this anytime today to, to ask some more questions. I'm sorry we don't have more time, um, but just you know, hearing this conversation, I, I think if you haven't taken some of um, our breakout sessions yet, there's there's some good content there that I think is very applicable to what we're talking about here. When we come down to how to make money uh, selling storage. You know, I think you get from this conversation, there's a lot of things to take into account. And you have to really think this through in terms of adding on to your business if you haven't already started to go down this path. Um, it's, not, it's not a very simple add-on to solar. Like There really are a lot of considerations. And I think about um, like in our marketing session with Peter Trost, which he has another one this afternoon, another one tomorrow, you know, trying to find that right target market because you probably can't serve everyone equally. With, you know, you have to really zero in on what's going to be the right fit and what you can sustain best in your company. And um, Carol's session about how to make sure you understand what your value talk is um, to be effective on the sales side and how to match up expectations with what you're providing. You have to really, you know, I think do a little soul searching in terms of what your storage business should look like and. Paul Benson's session about cash management, I think that came through really clearly as well, like knowing exactly what, what the full costs are. And you really do have to think about, we didn't even really get into the maintenance and O&M section of what storage could wind up looking for for your business. And that's one too, where there could be opportunity where you can almost offer service contracts, but are customers willing to, to pay for that and things like that. So, so hopefully, you know, with this kind of context, um, as you sit through some of the breakout sessions, you can be thinking through how to apply some of those principles into building a stronger storage business. So thanks everybody for participating and we'll move on to our next breakout sessions. Thanks.